Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. I live by routines, but I especially love my same-day delivery routine with Shipped. And my shopper knows this about me. When Sunday rolls around and I place my weekly stock-up order, Joe sends texts from the aisles. Wilted lettuce? Nah, hard pass. Deal on my favorite sparkling water? Whew, grab two. Fresh flowers just because? Hmm, sounds like a delightful idea. If you love routines that work for you, get Shipped same-day delivery. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash high. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. Hey guys, welcome to the First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Bannock. I'm sitting across from Alexis Linkletter and next to Billy Jensen. And happy 2020, bitches. That's right. Wow. Not just a new year, a new decade. A yeah. new decade. We're seeing perfect 2020 the, vision for all. Except the for roaring me. 20s. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Do you think people re- will refer to... Absolutely. It's can the we, new rolling 20s. Can we make it like a flapper thing again? Uh, yeah. Ooh. There's gonna be a lot of of uh, short haircuts. There's gonna be a no. lot of parties out in the uh, in the Hamptons. Mm-hmm. Or actually, he was on the uh, the North Shore of Nassau County. God, I want to do a Hamptons party. I got a terrible short haircut, so I'm halfway there. I love your hair. Mm-hmm. I love the Hamptons. Let's get a house this summer. The Roaring Twenties. Let's 20s. do what we're doing in Nashville right now. Yes, but over the summer in the Hamptons. Absolutely. I used to tear it up. Uh, I've never been to the Hamptons. Okay, so <gasps> Jack, you would love it. You would love it. It's I like, know. It's like the Vouve Clicquot, like, horse thing, polo thing. Yeah. Everywhere. Yes. yes. Big hats and, like, champagne yes. and, like, fun dresses. But, so, so, by, so by, Yes. Yeah. By the way, Alexis grew up in the, uh, in the rich part of, uh, of Long Island. I really, grew up in the middle class part. This is why people give us reviews part. and say, rich girl podcast, because you say things like You this. just talked about horses in the Hamptons. What do you That's think's going to happen? in the Hamptons. I'm not from the Hamptons. I know, but you were talking about it, though. You know it. It's aspirational, I, Billy. It is aspirational. Okay. Well, you know what? Today, there's a lot of good days today. There's a, you know what? January first, you're thinking who would who would make a day on yeah. New Year's Day? Lots of people. Lots They're of trying people. to start the year off right. Copyright law day. Why'd you pick that one? El- Commitment day. Commitment day. Ellis Island Day. National Bloody Mary Day. I understand that because they're thinking everybody's hungover and they need a little hair of the dog. Everybody is hungover. I am sure I'm hungover. Right it now. is National Hangover Day, too. <laughs> yeah. Actually, as Nas- I scroll down. National Hangover Day is is better than New Year's Day. Everybody yeah. that's listening. It, in. If you guys are actually listening on New Year's Day, I'm sure you're in bed, nauseous as hell, trying not to throw up, hopefully drinking a mimosa. But you know what? You have to follow... Jack's mantra. What? Puke and rally. That really is. It's when not was that my ro- mantra? It was your puke and rally was like, I'm all. The, all right. First of all, I've let's never go, done that ever in my life. First of all, puke and rally. <laughs> have you not seen that? Jared, can you back me up on that? How is it hers? How is that, that? I've never done that before. I've seen that. I've seen you say that on social and on this podcast. What? I've heard you say it. I've never heard you say it. Oh my I've God. Never I've never said heard, it. This is, this is. I don't Jared, puke. they're gaslighting us right now. <laughs> I don't puke and rally because I don't puke the night from drinking. I puke when I'm hungover. But then I do rally after that. Because oh. the only way to get over a hangover is by drinking. Are, are you speaking in riddles right now? <laughs> yeah. <Because laughs> I'm confused. <laughs> Maybe. Isn't that what a Riddler would say? Perhaps. All right. Well, anyways, that's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights. And turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you.
Our story begins on October 1st, 1993. Dream Lover by Mariah Carey was the top song on the charts, and The Nightmare Before Christmas was in theaters. I do love The Nightmare Before Christmas. So Everyone Jack does. Skellington. So um, it takes place in Petaluma. And Petaluma was once known as the egg basket of the world because it had a bustling egg industry. Ooh, I it, love a good egg. Yeah. Mm. Um, uh, I've been through Petaluma before. I've stayed in Petaluma. It's beautiful. It has, um, it just, it's just one of those cool little towns that has antique shops and cool little bars and coffee shops and that kind of thing. And actually, Karen Kilgara from My Favorite Murder is from, my favorite, oh. is from Petaluma. Oh, really? It's just one of those really neat towns above San Francisco that if when you visit there, you're like, I want to buy a house here one day. It's one of those guys. Our first degree today is our friend Elizabeth, and she grew up in Santa Rosa. And in her neighborhood, there was another little girl who lived down the street, and they became very, very good friends. And her name was Polly Kloss. So when I knew her, she lived in my neighborhood. She was up the street for me. It was sort of very, very specific memories, I think, of being with Polly. There was a few very specific memories. One is... I remember going into her room for the first time and she had one of those, um, it was like a hammock that was uh, attached in my memory, at least. It was attached to the ceiling and it was where all of her stuffed animals were. It was this really cool, like housing for all of her stuffed animals. And I just was always obsessed and very jealous of it. And also Polly was very aptly named from my memory, she was very much like Pollyanna. She was very sweet and loving and kind. And we always, like, as far as I can remember, her her little sister hung out with us a lot. Like there wasn't a sense of like, you're annoying us, go away, which I'm sure maybe happened sometimes, but she was, she was a very lovely person. Sweet, she was the definition of what a sweet girl was. Yeah, we just always, had it was always just fun to be around her and I think that was sort of what I uh gravitated towards with her was that she was just very fun to be around when we went trick-or-treating we always as kids we always had to use pillowcases and I was always very jealous of all the kids that had the plastic pumpkins that you would get from McDonald's or from different places but we weren't we never ate fast food as kids really so um uh polly's mom got us those pumpkins one year for halloween to go trick-or-treating uh and i remember being very happy but the main memory that i have of being with polly is that we had uh we were obsessed with roller skating and we had those roller skates that you would velcro over your sneakers and we would start at the top of the hill and we would go racing down to the bottom of the hill. And then we would spin around the street sign at the bottom to stop ourselves from going <laughs> to the main street, which is, you know, memories of the 90s and being children that weren't being supervised, <laughs> I guess. And then she also had, there was a tree in her front yard. Um, and we spent a lot of times, it was one of those trees where, um, there was a lot of room sort of inside near the trunk. So we would climb sort of into the tree and sit near the stump. And that's where we would sort of sit and talk about our dreams of moving to Hollywood and being actresses and all of that stuff. Elizabeth and Polly were very close for the years that Polly lived on Elizabeth Street in Santa Rosa. But eventually, Polly's family moved her to Petaluma. And when you're 12, it's impossible, next to impossible anyway, to try to maintain a friendship in a neighboring town if you're not going to school together. So they weren't able to see each other much after the move. Polly moved, made new friends, settled into her new school in Petaluma, and things were going really well for the little girl. October 1st was a normal day for Eve Nichols. She woke up in the morning, got her daughters up and ready for school, and then left the house to drive them there. First, she dropped off her six-year-old daughter, Annie. Then she drove her 12-year-old daughter, Polly, to her school, which is just a few blocks past Annie's. Then Eve drove herself to work. And every day, she would take a late lunch break so that she could pick the girls up after school at around 2 p.m. And 
the reason for doing this was because she was too nervous to let the girls walk home. She was worried for their safety. So she made sure every day to drive them home. And it was on this afternoon that Polly was standing outside her school with her clarinet case in hand, waiting to be picked up by her mom. She was happy. She was in a bubbly mood. And she told her mom what a great day she had once she got inside the car. And on the car ride home, Polly asked her mom if two of her friends could sleep over that night. It was Friday after all. She's 12. It's the weekend. That's what she wanted to do. And Eve told her daughter, Polly, that they could discuss it after they went home and looked at her room. Because Polly had been instructed to clean it. So how good of a job that she did cleaning her room would be the determining factor if she could have the sleepover or not. But before they arrived home, Eve took the girls to a toy store called Aunt Julie's on Petaluma Boulevard, where she bought Polly kitty stickers. They then stopped at a 7-Eleven for Slurpees before going home. And after looking at Polly's room, Eve gave Polly the permission to have her friends come over for a slumber party. Eve wanted to reward her daughter for doing such a good job and cleaning her room and following. So cute. Yeah. Good kid. So Polly's two girlfriends came over and they order a large pizza from Domino's. And let me just stop right here. This sounds just so great. Everything. It's so, it, it's, it's so sad. It's like, I didn't know these details before. And obviously we do know this case, but you know, going to get, going to the toy store and getting stickers, getting a Slurpee, you know, having your friends come over and you know, you're going to wake up the next morning and maybe watch cartoons and then getting a large pizza from Domino's. It's just like, it's like that's the most what, wholesome that's what childhood little is about. girl content. It breaks my heart. Yeah. So the girls go into Polly's room to play the perfect match board game. And Polly's mom, Eve, went into her bedroom with her six-year-old daughter and Annie, who was going to sleep in there that night because normally Polly and Annie shared a room, but tonight was special because Polly's friends were with her. So Eve and six-year-old Annie then fell asleep at approximately 10 p.m. in Eve's room. Right. And everyone fell asleep, but Eve's slumber would be disrupted just a few hours later. And it would be disrupted by banging on her door. And while it was a hard bang, Eve could tell that it was a child. Eve knew it was not a threatening banging on the other side of the door. Her immediate assumption was that it was her daughter, Polly, but it wasn't. When Eve opened the door, she saw her daughter's friend, Allie, on the other side. And what Allie said changed Eve's life forever. Allie looked at her and said, a man came and took Polly. And based on the look in Allie's eyes, Eve knew that this little girl was not kidding. Eve ran into Polly's room and saw Jenny, the other little girl who was there for the sleepover. And she said the same thing. That's when Eve ran to the phone and called 911. And when the police arrived, the board game the girls were playing was still on the floor. They looked around. There was a poster on the wall that showed a dozen Dalmatian puppies and it had a quote that said, in a world full of copycats, be an original. There were bunk beds, pictures of kitties, kitty stuffed animals. It was just a perfect little girl's room. Mm. So Eve Nichols was obviously hysterical. She had no idea what to make of what was happening. There was no effective way to convey the level of grief, fear, worry, anxiety that she was feeling. So detectives sat down with the girls to find out what happened. And this is what they told them. They said that night, the girls were planning to sleep in the living room of that two bedroom home in the sleeping bags that they brought. So they were in Polly's room playing the board game until about 1040. And that's when Polly said she was going to go into the living room and set up the sleeping bags. You know, might have to move around a little furniture, that kind of thing. So Polly grabbed the doorknob and opened the door. And right then on the other side stood a man with a knife. And the man with a knife looked to be between 30 to 40 years old, medium build with dark gray hair, a full beard, and he was wearing dark clothing and a yellow bandana around his head. And they... From that, they were able to start building a sketch that was created and circulated. Right. So they continued with their description. This man was holding a large kitchen knife in his left hand, and it was held up above his head. And he said, if you make any noise, I'll cut your throats. And these girls were in a state of confusion. What was happening was too bizarre to be real. This had to be a prank. Their friend Polly was funny. She was a jokester, and they knew her to be so. And... How else could you explain what was happening? Because this was just too surreal. So they believed at this point that this was a joke put on by Polly. They're 12 years old. They they don't really know what the fuck is happening. I mean, happening. you don't even understand what 
death evil is evil you don't know evil absolutely so you know you're just sort of uh appeasing a person who's threatening you you don't even know yeah so when polly though was confronted by this man she didn't scream she just sort of gasped and got quiet and because of this confusion that we've said the girls also didn't scream because a they thought they was a they thought it was a prank and then once even they realized that it wasn't he had threatened if you scream i will cut your throats and i feel like as a child you probably just are taught to almost follow order from from an adult like you're not you're not gonna think well i'll scream so somebody will hear me and then they can get this man it's more so like okay Mm -hmm. yeah i'll just follow what he says totally this man tied up their wrists and put a pillowcase over all of their heads yeah so they're only really dealing with audio and because of this confusion the girls didn't scream because they thought that it was still a prank and they decided to go along with it for a while and the man asked them who lives here And obviously that was Polly. And one of the first things Polly said to the man was, don't hurt my mom or my sister. And the man then tied the hands of the girls behind their backs and put pillowcases over their heads. And he also told them that he was just doing this for the money. It's sort of interesting because I've always, as an adult, and I think for a very long time, had a fear of someone breaking into my apartment and I never quite put it together until a couple years ago that it was probably because of Polly. Um, but I think in that moment, I think you always wonder what you would do in those moments. And I think you always hope that you will be um, some sort of uh, hero in some way. But I think I imagine three girls at 12 years old and a grown man walking in with a knife, you would probably do, I think, you know, your fight or flight kicks in. And and, and I think the other one that people forget about is freeze. And I think oftentimes my assumption is that is probably what would happen, that you just can't do anything until the danger has left. And I think that I feel um, that that's probably what happened because I know her mom and sister were down the hall. I want to say they were both in the house at the time that it happened. Um, and so I would imagine that they, in that moment did what they were told to do by an adult who was scary. But as the minutes passed, Polly's disposition evolved. She started whimpering, crying, and eventually started sobbing. According to Polly's friends, the man was in the room between seven to 10 minutes before taking Polly with him and leaving. And after the abductor left, the girls had to stand back to back and try to untie each other's hands. By doing this, they inadvertently tightened the rope around their wrists instead of releasing themselves. But luckily, Allie was able to finally get free and she went to wake up Polly's mom, Eve. So Polly's bedroom was searched thoroughly by criminologists and print experts. And in the initial investigation, the FBI forensic team who was called in had only found one usable piece of physical evidence at the class home, and it was a partial palm print on Polly's bunk bed. So the police believed that the intruder had entered through an unlocked window. None of the neighbors reported hearing or seeing anything strange during the time of the abduction. And an alert was issued across the county. And a description of Polly in the outfit she was wearing circulated. And the last thing she'd been seen wearing was a short white skirt, a pink shirt tied at the waist. A shrine to Polly has been built in front of the volunteer center. Dozens of townspeople stop by to lay flowers, to light candles, and to grieve Polly's loss. Mark Class came to the center today to thank the volunteers who helped search for his daughter. His sister Mariana says he's angry and in incredible pain. It was such a brave battle, and we didn't have to fight it alone, and we never gave up hope for a minute that we were getting her back. And it's just pure sorrow. Meanwhile, others are angry, some vowing to change the laws that let somebody like Richard Davis roam free, others hoping for the ultimate punishment. From here, I hope he gets the full extent of the law. I hope they fry him. As for the Polyclass Foundation, a request that mourners send money, not flowers. The group vows to stay active in the search for other missing kids and to try to make sure there are no more tragic stories like Polyclasses. 
This is where the people of Petaluma come to grieve, and the grief is overwhelming still. They light candles, lay flowers, and cry in the rain. For now, it's all they can do. I think it's an emotional day for everyone here. We all had our hopes up, but it didn't come out that way. Native Petalumans remember when this was a small town, when kids could be kids without the fear of a brutal death. But I think every parent in, in Santa Rosa and Petaluma and in all the surrounding towns probably felt incredibly um, sad and protective of their children and of what um, and of the idea that this could happen to anyone that it's them. And I think it was in a very weird space. There was a lot of um, media attention on the case and on them. And I think that it was a very, you know, that era of time was everyone wanted to get the story and wanted to have something to say. And uh, sometimes it wasn't at the benefit of victims. There was just everything suddenly became wild gossip. Um, there was all sorts of speculations about um, what had happened and why Polly specifically, because my understanding, and I know it's, you look back, sometimes you have memories of things and then you find out that it's somebody else's story you just heard a, a bunch of times. But my recollection of, of what information was known right away was that when he'd come to the room, he had asked which one of you is Polly or which one of you lives here. So there was some, there was speculation that it was retaliation for something or that somebody, it was, that no one knew exactly what had happened, but it seemed strange that he specifically had gone in for her and seemingly didn't know who she was, but I'm not entirely sure that that's true. Finding out about the arrest, what I do remember, and it's a very clear memory, is I remember I was sitting in our back room and I was watching uh, Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen's To Grandmother's House We Go, because it was around Christmas time, it was in December. And it was a part of the movie where they were in a horse-drawn carriage and the horses had spooked and they were about to go over a cliff. And that is when they cut in to the television with the news that they had found Polly's body. Uh, so that was, is a very um, clear memory of mine, is uh, finding out that they found her body. So I don't remember when they arrested him, but I do remember uh, when they found her. Um, because I think as so many people, they, they want to know, because the not knowing is, is terrible, because you keep thinking, well, maybe they'll just show up. Um, and so, I think that there was definite shock at first and then it was just incredibly sad because I hadn't, I don't think I, I think they protected me from, we didn't watch a lot of TV. So I think that I hadn't seen anything on the news and I think they wanted to make sure before I went to school the next day that I knew um, what had happened. Um, but yeah, I remember having to have a very, it was a very, uh, I mean, it's hard. I think it's like with anything you're, someone telling you because at that point she was missing it was a couple months before they found her so it was just strange and I think that they're just there at that time there wasn't a ton of information um everything sort of came out over time the first 24 hours after Polly's abduction all the usual suspects would need to be cleared and this is including everybody in her family and her parents they're all looked into and took lie detector tests and they all passed. So in the days that follow, the routine of the community shifted drastically. Doors had deadbolt locks installed. Windows were locked when they never used to be. There are no children playing in the streets after school or on the weekends. Parents were so scared that they were taking turns pulling the grocery shopping so that kids would never be left alone in their homes. And on the heels of the abduction, the community sprung into action. And everyone came together. Everyone was horrified by what had happened. And local printing shops donated 100,000 flyers to the effort in the first week. They were put up everywhere, including on parked cars, at the 49ers game, at the Candlestick Park, 
Flyers were given to truckers at Greenhead bus drivers. Countless volunteers rode horses and mountain bikes, combing the countryside looking for Polly. And the city was divided into 17 areas, and volunteers were assigned to one of 17 corresponding groups. Then they distributed flyers and searched for Polly within their designated areas. It was a very, like, organized effort. Incredibly organized. Yes. Yeah. And Polly's abduction garnered national attention. Polly's parents conducted media interviews and urged their daughter's abductor to let her go. Polly's mom, Eve, said to the Petaluma Argus Courier, if the subject gets to know her, there's no possible way he could ever hurt her. Please just take care of her. Please keep her safe. And the media coverage of Polly's case started to expand and reach neighboring counties and soon neighboring states. And it exploded with this stranger-than-fiction abduction, really the worst nightmare of any parent. Mm -hmm. So much so that on October 7th, Winona Ryder, who is from Petaluma, came in to Petaluma and offered support to the class family. And she visited to the Poly Class Volunteer Center, which was set up right away. Mm -hmm. Like this was probably one of the most organized. They made 8 million flyers that mm -hmm. they handed out That's across insane. the yes, um, in her hometown when she got there. So she eventually offered a $200,000 reward for anyone who could provide information leading to Polly's safe return. And the reason she was so invested is because she was from Petaluma and she graduated Petaluma High and had gone to the same elementary school and high school and all those things. So that's why Winona was sort of invested. I know it's very publicized what a big fan she was of Winona Ryder um, and uh, who also went to school in Petaluma, uh, which is where she eventually moved to. Yeah, she uh, very much loved, I think when you're a little kid and you just sort of, you the people that you admired were sort of the things that you then wanted to do. Um, and we were very obsessed with Winona Ryder and all of the movies that she did. Uh, and I think we very much wanted to be Winona Ryder when we got older. When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program. And it's available on desktop or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally, first with words, then phrases, and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, 
Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. Since the night of Polly's abduction, the police and the family had been waiting for a possible ransom demand or ransom note, anything, a ransom call to come in, but nothing ever materialized. Countless tips came in where people knew the person depicted in the composite sketch and several men who resembled the abductor were questioned, but none of them ended up being their guy. And after months of nothing, the Petaluma police called upon America's Most Wanted, hoping that the national show could help flush out more leads relating to the case. So not long after America's Most Wanted aired, something came to the surface. So it turns out that on the night of Polly's abduction, an all-points bulletin with the suspect's info and the description of Polly was issued within 30 minutes of the kidnapping but not beyond that area. So this broadcast only went out over Sonoma County Sheriff's Channel 1, which essentially didn't penetrate county lines. This also means that this information didn't reach the neighboring county of Santa Rosa, which is 20 or so miles north of Petaluma. So it turns out on the night of the abduction, a woman who was babysitting for a family had finished babysitting and left. And when she was leaving... She saw a car disabled on the property of the home that she was babysitting for. When she got home, she called the property owner and the woman who was the mother to the child she was babysitting and said, listen, there was this disabled car on your property. And the, the mother, the owner of this home, got a little bit spooked by this. So she decided to leave the property. And in doing so, when she left the property, she drove by the car that was on her property and uh she passes this disabled car and saw a man inside and she was really i don't know why what about the situation really upset her but she was spooked and decided to call the police when she got to a gas station and tell them about this because she lived what i assumed to be on what i assumed to be is like a private drive yeah. like yeah. there shouldn't be a car on your property broken down no it's not like you're like on a normal street that you can just like like in hollywood there's a bunch of houses on every single drive that we have a disabled car wouldn't alarm anyone but in the house i grew up which on long island my my driveway was like a mile if there was a disabled car there i'd be it's spooky it's trespassing it's it's spooky so this is how this all transpired so the santa rosa police arrive at this disabled car and it's a 79 white ford pinto and it was stuck in a ditch. And that's why it was stalled there. And they asked the man inside for his license, and he handed it over. And his name was Richard Allen Davis. And Davis handed over his license. Police ran the car's license plate number. There were no warrants or anything that popped up. But remember, though, this is Santa Rosa. So these cops have no idea yet about Polly's kidnapping or the suspect's description. Because remember what we told you about the radio frequency. Yes, and this was the same night, but they had no idea. And this was 1993, so it was just sort of a different time as far as information sharing. But these officers called for a tow truck to pull Davis's car out of the ditch. And Davis allowed them to search the vehicle before the tow truck got there. And there was nothing suspicious, and there were no red flags to be raised or evidence discovered in this car. So... What they did find, though, represented the only legal violation they could really call him on, which was an open container violation. There was an open beer bottle in the car. But because Davis wasn't driving when the police approached and he was being cooperative, they decided not to hang him on this open container thing. Plus, at the time, 93, it wasn't really illegal. Like, DUIs just became a thing, what, in the 80s? Oh, you still weren't allowed to do it, though, but yeah. You weren't allowed to do it, but I'm saying like these 
these very nitpicky things like it was nit- it was a li- little nitpicky back then it wasn't enough so that they were not yeah. they were not uh afraid of this guy they yeah. just let him go this man whose pinto was stuck in a ditch was basically told to dump the beer out and then he was free to go so they obviously called him out on this legal violation with this open container situation but they also made him fill out a field interrogation card, which included his information. And once he filled this card out, he was free to go. But it basically was his name, license plate, his broad stroke information in case he needed to call upon him again. So what we just described, this incident of this man and this Pinto having this car stuck in this ditch and the police coming to help him happened on the same night of Polly's kidnapping. And we're going to fast forward to November 28th of 1993. And this is almost two months later than that night. And that woman that we were talking about, whose babysitter called about the strange car being stuck on her property. She ended up having loggers come to clear a bunch of trees on her land. And on this day, she decided to take a walk around her property, observe everything that they had done, just see what's going on. And while she was on that walk, she discovered some items that didn't belong there that she didn't really know where they had come from. And by now, of course, she had heard of Polly's abduction. It was national news at this point. And as we said, one report said 8 million flyers had been handed out. Everybody knew about Polly Kloss. She called the sheriff's department and immediately crime scene investigators were dispatched. So this is what the property owner found. Evidence of blood and a sweatshirt that would later be determined to belong to Richard Allen Davis. And then it all clicked for everyone. They locked the scene down, and it was carefully searched. Hairs were recovered, and they were tested, and it was determined that they belonged to Polly. So now with this discovery, their sights became focused on the mysterious man whose car had broken down on this property months prior, Richard Allen Davis. They needed to investigate him. They needed to talk to him, and they needed to find him. But the first thing that they were able to learn about him was that he had been arrested before and had a long, complicated criminal history. Yeah, and another thing that they found, uh, which they had originally held back, were a pair of Polly's tights. Um, And they also found a condom, too. And all of this led to Davis. On uh, November 28th, uh, there was some physical evidence that was found in an area that's uh, almost directly behind me. That's why the Sonoma County Sheriff's Office has intensified its search of this wooded area near Santa Rosa, calling in more than 300 trained search and rescue volunteers, people like Karen Robles of Placer County. It's pretty emotional. It's been going on for a long time now. And just hope we can resolve this, get it over with. So everybody's fears and can be put to rest. The search covers a three-square-mile area on this hillside in wine country. By using dogs, horses, helicopters, and divers, searchers will have combed every inch, including water towers and reservoirs, as many as half a dozen times to make sure nothing has been overlooked. We have over 300 people here today from those various agencies involved in this effort. Because we have those people available, over the next two days, we are going back to ground zero just to make sure. There's a lost, scared little girl out there that probably desperately wants to be found. I think that goes through all of our minds. We just want to find her. Uh, based upon the evidence they Petaluma have, hangs on every word about the polyclass case. Everything that's been done to date, we are ignoring, and we are going back. And A morning news conference on the search in nearby Kenwood captured the attention of everyone at the Poly Search Center. When he said we're, we're searching the water tanks, and I, I just thought that was horrendous. It was something I never even, I never even thought of. On day six of the probe in this wooded area, still no sign of Polly, and that's just fine with her father, Mark Class. I'm convinced they will not turn Polly, uh, Polly up in that area. After several days of intense investigation, police finally linked Richard Allen Davis to the kidnapping. Their key piece of evidence, a palm print found in Polly's bedroom here at the family home. In court on Thursday, Davis appeared under heavy security. I think he's sick. I don't think he deserves to live. 
and that isn't expected to change. A vigilante mentality and flyers like these are now making the rounds in Petaluma. I just hope um, that they're doing everything they can to protect him because he's the only one at this point that knows what happened. Davis isn't yet talking to investigators, but an expert in missing children's cases believes the twice-convicted kidnapper is a hired gun. I really believe that there's another person involved, and I also I believe that she's lying. That's why flyers in seven languages are still going all over the world. We want to ask the public for any information they may have about uh, Mr. Richard Davis. And today, Mark Klaus made an unusual plea to California prison inmates for help. I mean, nobody likes crimes against children. And this is a crime against children. In fact, class says Davis's former jailmates at the Soledad prison have donated $1,000 to the search effort. In Petaluma, John Lobertini, KOVR 13 News. I would like to look him in the eye and I'd like to talk to him. And I'd like to see if he could shed some information on Polly's fate. So as they're looking into Richard Allen Davis, one of the first things that they learn is that he had previous convictions of burglary, assault, oral copulation, and kidnapping. Yep, kidnapping. He served prison time in Chino in Southern California. So it turns out that for a previous kidnapping conviction, he'd been sentenced to 16 years, but he managed to get out on parole early. This guy started making people miserable as a teenager and had an incredible criminal record. He had enlisted in the army, but he was discharged because of his incessant fighting with other soldiers. During his time in prison, he was analyzed by mental health professionals, and they described him as a lone wolf. At times, he spoke of inner voices that told him to hurt and kill people. He even told one of them that he felt a glowing feeling type of release after he committed a crime. But due to the fact that he'd been arrested, they also had his prints. And remember that partial palm print that they found in Polly's room on her bunk bed? You know, they had initially run it through the system and didn't get a hit because it just wasn't good enough sample to be matched in the algorithm to all those thousands and thousands of uh, prints that are out there. But once they zeroed in on Davis, they were able to do a one-to-one comparison of the prints, and it was a match. Davis was the monster that had gone into the house during the sleepover that night and abducted 12-year-old Polly Kloss. And now they had the evidence that they needed. but. They needed to find Davis to make the arrest. Luckily, they were able to trace Davis to a small Native American reservation near Ukiah, California. And the reservation was called Coyota Valley and had a population of between 150 and 200 people living there. There were approximately 30 houses in a tribal community center on this property, which was a reservation compound. And it turned out that Davis was squatting in a small house and the small house was reported to be by the uh, Petaluma Argus Courier that it was more like a shed. And this place had no running water, no sewage system, no electricity, no, no nothing. And this is where him and a female was squatting together. Davis was not a member of this tribe. He was just squatting on this property. And that's something tribal leaders made very clear once this sort of hit the media. And... uh They had been making attempts to evict him for months, multiple times. But the local sheriff's department had no idea how to help them because there was a lot of confusion as far as the jurisdiction. They didn't know if they could evict them. Is it tribal police? It kind of went back and forth for a while and it hadn't been addressed prior to his arrest. And when they arrested Richard Davis, they got him on a DUI charge because they learned on October 19th, this is 18 days after Polly's abduction, he'd been pulled over for a DUI. So they got him in the interrogation room and he said that he was high on alcohol and drugs the night of October 1st, 1993. And he remembers very little about what happened and what he did. He also said he was acting alone and did not know Polly or any of her family. He said, no decent people don't want to know me. So that's what he said during his interrogation. Well, I think that's interesting because it's like, he he knows knows he's a shit of the earth. He knows he's a shittier. And he's going to get a lot more shittier. Then he sure is. So even though they had Davis in their custody, they still didn't have Polly. But... Davis eventually folded. 
And he was arrested the end of November, the 28th, I believe. And December 4th, he folded and agreed to lead police to Polly's body. When they did find her, she was found with her legs splayed apart and clothing pushed above her waist. They believe that he had sexually assaulted her, but he denied that. Either way, they wouldn't be able to determine that because of the two months that she had remained unfound. Either way, parts of Polly's body were mummified, others were skeletonized, and this made conducting the autopsy extremely difficult and arduous. However, they did find a cloth and rope in her hair. Each were tied into loops about three inches in diameter, and they believed this was an indication of manual strangulation. Due to the level of decomposition, they had no way to know whether or not she had been sexually assaulted. In fact, according to court documents, the medical examiner said of his examination, quote, there was no identifiable remnant of any organ. Richard Allen Davis went to trial, and he was convicted in 1996 of first-degree murder in four special circumstances, robbery, burglary, kidnapping, and a lewd act on a child. In court and cause, verdict count three. We, the jury, in the above entitled action, find the defendant, Richard Allen Davis, guilty of a felony to wit, a violation of Penal Code Section 211, robbery, and that he did willfully and unlawfully, and by means of force or fear, take personal property from the person, possession, and immediate presence of Polly Hannah Class. We further find the robbery to be in the first degree. Use allegation. We further find the allegation that the said defendant personally used a deadly and dangerous weapon to wit knife within the meaning of Penal Code Section 12022B to be true. Great bodily injury. We further find the allegation that the said defendant, with the intent to inflict such injury, personally inflicted great bodily injury upon Polly Hannah Class, not an accomplice to the above offense within the meaning of Penal Code Sections 12022.7 and 1203.075 to be true. And here's a statement that Richard Allen Davis made after his conviction in court. I now have one last statement to make. To Eve Nichols and her family, for what it's worth, I do offer my sincere apology. To certain members of the Kloss family, I also offer the same. Though I do find it very puzzling that the tip provided by Kamika Milstead in her testimony was never followed up on concerning the description of the man and his car that I had talked to that night. I would also like to state for the record that the main reason I know that I did not attempt any lewd act that night was because of a statement the young girl made to me when walking her up the embankment. Just don't do me like my dad. I have to pay my dues, and so should Burn you. Burn in hell, Davis. All right, that concludes the statement. Uh, and here's a reaction from Mark Kloss, Polly's father, after hearing this statement that Richard Allen Davis made in court, where he made that sort of wild accusation publicly. And following Mark Kloss is his father, who also talks to the reporters. To which this individual will go to continue to inflict pain and suffering and agony in the continued victimization of my family. I don't for a moment regret my response. I only regret my words. He's a toxic pollutant upon our society. And the sooner he leaves this world, the better off we all will be. Mark, what, what were you it? ready to do when you stood up, Mark? I don't really know. I could no longer be in the same room with him. I might have let it pass until I heard my mother's groan of agony and it snapped something within me, which I just couldn't hold back. I thought this man has spent his entire time, this man has spent his entire time in jail trying to think up another way to inflict terrible pain because he is a continual, endless sadist. Because this, this man succeeded in what he was trying to do, which was pierce my son through the heart and pierce the rest of the family. 
It was just plain despicable. And it shows the kind of people child molesters are. There was a point in trial where he was asked, because obviously, uh, or not, I mean, when they found her body, they weren't able to tell if she had been sexually abused or not. Uh, during trial, when he was asked, he said he didn't, and he said he didn't because she had said to him, please don't do what my daddy did to me, uh, which became very... Uh, interesting conversation uh most people think that he was doing that just to get another dig at the family so it just seems like he just seems like a terrible person who was doing things and, and you know what he said in court that it, it seems like he was just trying to hurt as many people as possible which just seems very strange since he didn't seem to have any motive, which is why all of it just has always seemed very bizarre to me, because there seemed to be no motive for why he picked her and no understanding for why he then was continuously trying to hurt these people um, that were close to her. Anyone who hurts a child specifically is just missing something in their brain. For someone to walk into a house that they don't know on a girl's birthday, kidnap her and then murder her. You have to be at just a whole nother level of human being that you just can't. I mean, I don't know how he related in society at all, because if that's something that you can do, I don't know how you um, function in life. Richard Allen Davis was sentenced to death for kidnapping and murdering Polly Kloss. And while there was some semblance of justice in this case, in that Richard Allen Davis was sentenced to death, we must understand that not all cases, not all murdered little girls' families do get justice. So while Elizabeth is our first degree connection to the story of Polly Kloss, she wanted to come on to our show to also talk about another murdered little girl. And it was important that this case was brought up when talking about Polly. So I'm going to read an excerpt um, of an article written by David Templeton for the Argus Courier staff. It kind of will give you a little summary of the case. Her name was Georgia Lee Moses, but no one knew that yet. When her body was found in a grove of trees in South Petaluma on August 22nd, 1997, almost no one even knew she'd been missing. She was... 12-year-old African-American Santa Rosa girl who had disappeared from her Santa Rosa home on August 13th, but no mention of her absence appeared in local papers until after the body had been tentatively identified. By the time we all learned her name, she was already long dead, her presumed kidnapping and subsequent murder, a crime that remains unsolved to this day. 20 years later, many questions remain. Would Georgia Moses still be alive had news of her disappearance been widely disseminated as Polly Classes had? Was law enforcement slow to act because the victim was black, a middle school dropout, and living with her disabled mother in poverty? Why hasn't her murder been solved after all these years? Why hasn't her killer been brought to justice? Before I sort of fully could comprehend, I didn't understand why one had to be talked about with the other because I had such a connection to, to Polly and I didn't know Georgia. Um, and it felt like I kept feeling like people were blaming Polly for the attention that she got when she was dead and had no control over it. And then as I was able to do more research and as you grow up and you learn more things and I sort of saw the injustice that was done to Georgia, um, Georgia was uh, kidnapped and killed, uh, I think three or four or five years after Polly in Petaluma, uh, her mother had reported that she was missing uh, because she was a young black girl. They said she had run away or she was whatever, and they ignored it um, to some degree. And her body was found in a ditch and her killer has never been found. And I just, people very much know the name Polly Class and people don't know the name Georgia Moses. And so for me, it's always been important now. I think Ava DuVernay talks about it in the 13th in her documentary. Uh, she talks about Polly. I believe she talks about Georgia. Um, and I think that it's 
it is now an important thing. And for me, if, if people are going to talk about Polly, I think it's always important to then talk about Georgia because so many black girls um, were found in ditches or having been kidnapped or murdered and they did not get public attention. They didn't get the media frenzy that happens when a cute white girl goes missing. And I think it's incredibly sad. Um, and I think that for me, it was important that if I was going to talk about my friend Polly, I've now come to uh, embrace the fact that if we talk about Polly, we then also get to talk about Georgia. Right. And I think that it's it's not that Polly didn't deserve the attention. It's that Georgia Georgia did also deserve the same attention. And Elizabeth still holds on to her memories of Polly. Anytime someone doesn't get the chance to at least see, see the attempt at their dreams, um, it's always just really sad. I don't know sort of how to describe it properly, but I think that you feel lucky that you have the days that you have when you know that there's people that didn't get close to the number of days that you've had. I think that, and losing Polly, you just get a different renewed sense of how lucky you are. And then I think that I just try to be as kind as I can be and as helpful as I can be because there's so much hate and negativity in the world and, and I get caught up in it too. And I think that sometimes you have things that happen and it just allows you to take a step back and be grateful for what you have in the moment and what you get to do today and what you get to do tomorrow and the fact that you have a tomorrow. I will say, and this is, it's funny because it's something that I always, had as a memory and my dad I think recently said no you weren't there it was just me but the last time that Polly came to my house she knocked on the door and my dad was the only one that was home and she was explaining that they were moving to Petaluma and she left her skates at our house and she needed to take them with her and so my dad helped her look for them and they found them in the garage and that when they were leaving he said to her I'm so sorry that you're moving away you've been such a good friend to Elizabeth and she said and she said yes but everything everything works out the way that it's supposed to and she smiled at him and she sort of skipped down the stairs and he shut the door and that was the last time uh, that he saw her. And I always sort of, that to me is, is the memory that I, even though I wasn't there, that's the memory that I sort of keep of her, the, the image of her sort of happily skipping away with her skates that we loved so much. Uh, so, yeah, that's sort of, that's the way that I remember Polly. She gets to live on in a different way than than obviously anyone would want uh, to be remembered. But at least there is a sense that people do remember her and people do talk about her and um, people get to share uh, their memories of her big thank you to Elizabeth for being our first degree connection this week. If you're listening and you have a first degree story you would like to tell us, you can email us at hello at the first degree podcast.com. Also, please follow us on Instagram at the first degree at Alexis Linkletter at Billy Johnson at Jack Fanick. Join our Facebook group. We are talking all things true crime and having good discussions about each of our cases every week. It's a great group to be a part of go buy some merch link in our bio on instagram and stick around for killing time because we are weird right and answering some questions you sure we are so remember only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close but, but not, not that, that close sources for today's episode include the Petaluma Argus Courier, the LA Times, the Napa Valley Register, polyclass.org, history.com, among many others, including court documents and police records. That being said, our first degree interview is always our largest source.
Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. I live by routines, but I especially love my same-day delivery routine with Shipped, and my shopper knows this about me. When Sunday rolls around and I place my weekly stock up order, Joe sends texts from the aisles. Wilted lettuce? Nah, uh Hard pass. Deal on my favorite sparkling water? Whew. Grab two. Fresh flowers just because? Hmm. Sounds like a delightful idea. If you love routines that work for you, get Shipped same-day delivery. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash hi. All right. Welcome to Killing Time. This is a real time killing time because we're going to upload this episode in like an hour. And it's the first time we've ever recorded in almost a real time. It's true. And we are in Nashville. It's New Year's Day. We're hungover. We're sitting in Alexis's bed. Jared's on the floor. drinking. I'm sitting up, though. Mm. We're going to go to a honky tonk after this. Yeah. Yeah. And then we're going to um, a karaoke place called Santa's. That's in a double wide trailer. Yes. We can't wait. It's going to be a blast. Um, What do we want to talk about? I guess our Nashville experience. Maybe our New Year's resolutions. We can talk about New Year's resolutions. Okay. You go first. I don't have any. Oh, okay. Um, Well, I think I'd like to start with, let's start with the podcast. What we want to do. Okay. Just our goals. I mean, we're so happy in doing this and we've become so much closer, all of us. And we've bonded over it. And we've bonded with so many amazing guests that we've had on the show that we've become real friends with. I mean, Tara Newell's downstairs right now eating queso. She is. She's been with us all weekend and she's become like a lifelong friend mm-hmm. yeah. through this work, which is awesome. Yeah. She has, she is one of the best people in the world. I have to say. I've never so met good. anyone like her. In she's my life. so fun. She's so fun. And so sweet and not judgmental and, <laughs> of all and of our shit. insightful and lovely. And just, I, she's so wonderful and it's been a pleasure getting to know her and it was through the podcast i mean it's just so nice it's bringing people together it is um so what are your new year's resolutions for our podcast so i mean obviously we just want to keep going we want to eventually do live shows that's right we, we have other podcasts and we're, and we we're going to do. to do live shows we are doing a live show at crime con at crime yeah, con in orlando yeah, that's right um we want to work more closely with jared we love Jared. Uh, he's I'm been totally such, cool with that. <laughs> he's been... Oh. I don't think you guys realize... I mean, he's elevated the podcast so much. We're so grateful for you, Jer. Thanks, guys. We love you. I just we, love hanging out. I'm glad I get to at least add something. So. Aww. <laughs> what are your guys' resolutions for the podcast? Well, we kind of touched on it, but we... I mean, amongst the three of us, we've talked about a plethora of different other podcast ideas that we could branch out and do. Some of those are like anthology things like first degree. Some of them are specific stories or specific topics. Um, but I would love for us to actually get some of those going rocking and rolling next year. Yes. Yeah. What about you, Billy? Now just, um, the live shows. I mean, really just spreading the idea of, um, which is what we're doing, which is a victim centric, yeah. Uh storytelling. Yeah. And that's what I want to do. So yeah. Yay. Jer? Uh okay. I wanna I wanna work on more podcasts. I've kind of got <laughs> yeah. the now. Which by the way, Jared is launching yeah. his website for production for podcasts soon. I so love it. if you guys okay. have a podcast and you need some sound design, Jared will be doing Your that. Guy. Yeah. Readily available. Yes. yes. In the new year. So I'm excited. I like I'd love doing this for you guys. It's it's a passion that I didn't know oh. I had. But oh, it's so fun i just want us to be together all the time that's pretty much the goal of all of our professional lives now is just for us to us four to just be together all the time (laughs) and have excuses to write off for business (laughs) no and i think i think i mean i respect other podcasters so much and especially in the true crime community there's some amazing duos and trios that do awesome podcasting i just think we have a bond that's different yeah 
Like we are all genuinely best friends and we hope that shines through because we, you're so important to each other. The work is so important to all of us. We um, really care about this and it's, we're only being so trite and cheesy because it's the new year. And cause we've been drinking mimosas. <laughs> we've been drinking mimosas and we're just feeling a lot of feelings yeah. right now. No, but I, I have to say it's, it's super hard to work with your friends. It's super hard to work, work with your partner. Yes. And we've all just been very, very lucky that we somehow all just work very well together. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't really fight ever about anything. We yeah. have we stay in our lanes. We stay in our lanes and we respect each other a lot. And none of us try to do jobs that we can't do. Correct. <laughs> I'm not trying to produce a podcast. <laughs> and, well, me and Billy sometimes we do some we do mm-hmm. some grammar. We do some idea bantering. But, yeah, but that's because you guys work in like a similar line of work. Yeah, that's true. That there's always going to be that kind of exactly a push and pull. But I do feel very fortunate that we were just on a whim too. It's like when we came up with this idea, like back in the day, I did not realize that it would become such a huge like part of my life and how well it would work. I mean, we must have because we decided to do it, and you right. wouldn't have signed up to work with a person who you thought would be miserable to work exactly. with. Exactly. Right. Yeah. But I just think what's different is like we all have similar work ethics. Like we all will stay up all night to get the job done. Uh-huh. Yeah. We all care about what we're producing and we care about people's feelings. I think is the most important thing. Yeah. Um, we've never had a guest regret coming on or have a bad experience. They all just are grateful they did. And we're grateful they did. And we, we get good feedback on every episode. Everyone's touched by an episode has resonated with each of you yeah. in some way. Yep. Yeah. And we hear some amazing feedback and we're just so grateful for everybody who listens. No, and we're also grateful for all of our guests that come on. That's a hard thing for people to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that's like a huge thing in any true crime, anything yeah. is trying to get people to talk about their experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm super grateful for all of our guests that have come yeah. on and shared their stories and hopefully like let us be a platform to tell that for them. Yeah. This is going to be a good year, guys. It's 52 be a good year. more episodes. Yeah. We're going to up the ante, make them better. Hopefully. Why not double it? Oh, God. Dear God. <laughs> well, no, we do. That is a good goal that we wanted to have is separate killing time into its own episode and have two episodes a week. So it would be great. That's hopefully true. we're going to do that in the, in the near future. Yes, yes. we will. Um, because, you know, this is it's too good to have at the end. I agree. It's too good. It is too good. And then we want to start having some of our like friends come on, celebrity guests, etc. Yes. yes. That just love true crime, but they don't have a first degree story. Exactly. Right. Yes. We want to give them a little place to talk about their true crime love. Jared is just <laughs> drinking his Bloody Mary. I'm just plowing these Bloody Marys. <laughs> this is like number four. I keep moving my mic out of the way so you don't hear me slipping it. I think it's good to also say that we've been on a bender. <laughs> it's been a yeah, bender. Yeah, we've been on a bender. It's, How long have we we're been on here? our Nashville New Year's trip. So Yeah, it's been a good three days of bending. Yeah, it really has. It's been It's been good. I need a nap. Yeah. <laughs> so, does anyone else want to share any more New Year's things? I don't want to get too personal, so no. I'm going to stop because otherwise yeah. I'll embarrass myself. Yeah, yeah. Same. <laughs> Billy, do you have any New Year's resolutions you want to discuss? No, I don't. You yeah, don't? Do you so. do you make New Year's resolutions or no? No, I do not. I don't either. I am. Why? Do you, we were going to have store. Okay. I have a manifest yeah. list okay. of things that I would like to achieve. That's not a resolution. I feel like a resolution is something that you want to change in your life. Right. Okay. Like yeah. a workout or something. Well, that's not <laughs> going on your list. No. <laughs> I went on a rant last night about how it's just like another day. <laughs> I was like, I don't have a resolution. Fuck it's just this. another day. Time yeah. is a social you guys are just construct. just grouping these days together. It was so stupid. Yeah, that's pretty bad. I do have a resolution. Oh, I have. I try to have a resolution. What's your resolution for this year? Actually, I don't have one. Just re- I usually <laughs> do. <laughs> well, all right. Well, maybe we'll uh, follow up on Jerry's resolution in our next killing me, time. Yeah, give me like yes. three weeks. I'll get back to you on it. Okay. All that right. Sounds like all right. All right. Well, happy New Year's, everyone. Happy New Year's. Happy New we Year's. love you all. Roaring twenties. Ooh, the roaring twenties. Roaring twenties. And that's showbiz, baby. Razzle dazzle. Showbiz. I live by routines, especially my same day delivery routine with shipped. Because when Sunday rolls around, I'm not scared. I got my shopper on the way with all my favorites. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at Shipped.com.